Welcome to the Net Ministries podcast. Hello and welcome to the Net Ministries podcast. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm good, how are you? <laughs> um, uh, here at Net Ministries, uh, we've noticed that a majority of young Catholics are disconnecting from the church during their teenage years. So to reawaken their faith, we train teams of young adults and we send them across the country to minister in parishes and schools. Um, and we also do a podcast. Oh yeah. Dan, how are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Today's a pretty big day in some regards. Why? Well, it's the World Cup, which oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> is uh, the World Cup about that sport, which is called football, the one where we use our feet and a ball-shaped ball. You know that one? Are, are, by saying a ball-shaped ball, are you are you throwing shade at American football? Yeah, referring to the fact that you don't use your feet or the ball is not shaped like a ball. So, <laughs> What team are you rooting for? <laughs> of course, I'm rooting for, for England. Nice. Um, and yeah, it's our first game today against Tunisia. Now, England haven't won, I think, a World Cup game in the past like four games we've played, which is dismal. Last time we won <laughs> the World Cup was in 1966. And we've had loads of good like soccer teams that have played um, in the World Cup. And there's been this great expectation that has just been shattered every <laughs> World Cup. And the whole nation is really upset. And um, actually, we've lost hope. Seriously. Yeah, they're pretty pessimistic. So pessimistic. And this team isn't very good. We have one like... <laughs> World-class player, Harry Kane, who is a legend. Uh, I think he scored like 39 goals in, in this last season he played. And yeah. He's just a great player. Um, but the rest of the team, they're quite young and in, inexperienced. So there isn't a lot of expectation, which I think is a good position for us. Right, yeah. Because nobody's going in there thinking, this is the team that's going to do it. Everybody's thinking, ah, oh, we'll be lucky if we get to the semifinals. And if we do, that's a great result. So either... We like really mess it up, and nobody's gonna be like, "Oh, I had so much expectation." Or we get to the semifinals, and hope will be restored into our country for England in future World Cups. Or we might just win it. We're like a sixteen <laughs> to one favorite. Wow, which really? Is not That's... very, very good. Yeah. But it's not like super it's not bad. Not the worst. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like we've got more than a what five percent chance. So that's great. Yeah. So I'm hopeful for today. In fact, I'm going to take some vacation day this afternoon to uh, watch the game. Are you the kind of person that likes to watch it alone, or do you want people around you? I want Brits around okay, me. Okay, I got you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I want people around me, and I want people that jeer at my team so I can <laughs> jeer back at theirs. I like that. Nice. That's great. So how are you doing today, Matt? I'm good. Uh, I've recently celebrated an anniversary here at NET. I've... Uh, I've been back on staff for 10 years. Wow. And uh, yeah, which got me just feeling a little nostalgic. So some people might know, but I served on that in 2002. I was a team supervisor for two years, and then I left for three years. And when I was gone, I went to graphic design school. And I was just kind of remembering uh, what it was like the other day. And so I, uh, I had just come out of being with NET for three years. I was a little bit older of a college student going back to college, 
And on the very first day, we had like a big, uh, they had a big lunch for all the new students at the school. And I thought, okay, I'll, like, I'll, I'll go to that, whatever. I usually wouldn't go to something like that by myself, but uh, I decided to go. And uh, I, uh, it was just pizza, uh, but I, I said grace just quietly. And I, I did the sign of the cross. And uh, all of a sudden, the next thing I know, this, this really tough-looking guy is approaching me. And he comes up to me and he says, Hey. I'm like, hey. And he says, next, I pray before I eat too. <laughs> and I said, cool, man. <laughs> and uh, we, we, him and I, I, he, I recognized him because uh, we were both taking graphic design classes. And so for the foreseeable future, like probably for the next year, we'd pretty much all have, him and I would have the same classes. So there's a big introduction at the beginning where uh, we said who we are, we, where we live, all that. And so anyways, at this lunch, after he comes up to me, he says, hey, you want a carpool? I live near you. <laughs> what? And again, like I was kind of intimidating looking and, uh, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't want a carpool. <laughs> um but I just thought, you know, I'm thinking like evangelization opportunity, like, okay, uh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, man, yeah, I'd carpool with you. And the next thing he says is, you want to drive tomorrow? Whoa. Like, oh, this is getting real. Yep, yep, I'll drive tomorrow. <laughs> the next day, I pick him up. He didn't live that far from me. We're driving to school, and he tells me, uh, yeah, my car broke down, so uh, I don't really have a way to get to school, so do you mind just being the driver for a while? Yeesh. I'm thinking, oh, man, I, guess I just got tricked into driving this guy to school. But whatever. I'm thinking, you know, evangelistic opportunity. And uh, I don't know. Like, I, I started to get to know the guy a little bit. And um, he seemed like a pretty good guy. But every once in a while, he'd say little things that make me nervous. <laughs> uh, like, for example, we had a drawing class. And mm -hmm. we were learning on drawing perspective. And uh, the example the teacher showed was a, was a jail cell. And to himself... In his seat, he says, that's not what it looks like. <laughs> so that's when I thought, I should probably have some kind of like full disclosure of like who I'm driving. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so on the way home that day, I let's go. His, na his name was Dan. Dan, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I'm telling your story. Uh, like, Dan, have you been to jail? <laughs> yeah, I was there for about a year. That was the last time we ever talked about it. <laughs> I was too scared to ask why. But for the next year, I drove that guy to school. <laughs> so anyways, I've been back at Nat for 10 years now. I haven't seen Dan in a long time. Uh, that's okay. <laughs> anyways, Dan, driver, uh, who do we have on the uh, podcast today? We have um, my neighbor, actually. He's next door neighbor. And I, um, but more than that, he is a youth minister um, for a parish out here in Minnesota. He sees youth ministry as a career, which, wow. I, I mean, I don't know how many people I meet who see it as this sort of like vocational career, as a calling. So we're discussing that. We're discussing um, what it means to be a career youth minister and yeah. how do you know if you are one and what are some of the pitfalls and things to look out for and challenges and um, how do you make, how do you reconcile that maybe with trying to raise a family because he, um, has a family with uh, quite a few children, um, <laughs> and it's it's just very impressive to watch him do it with such grace. Um, he's also a great gifted speaker, 
so he's got lots of wisdom to share and today, and um, I'm really excited for those of you out there who want to be youth ministers as well to listen to it and hopefully glean some information. Well, I'm excited. I've been around Pat a few times, and he just seems like an outstanding guy. So let's jump right into the interview. Here is Dan with Pat Millay. So, Pat, it's so exciting to have you here today speaking with us about youth ministry. Thanks. Uh, I'm pretty excited because youth ministry doesn't exist in England in the same way it does out here. Mm. Youth ministers are typically older and volunteer positions Mm -hmm. in the country. And if you ever thought about it as a career it would people would look at you like what the heck (laughs) but you've been doing youth ministry for a while now right you've been a youth minister for how many years for um let me think so in full-time parish ministry for 11 years um ever since grad school and people still do give me that look once in a while by the way like youth ministry is a career really that's so it's it's not as shocking here but once in a while you still get that yeah (laughs) that's crazy so 11 years right. of youth, being a youth minister, not yep. in the same parish or in the same parish. Three different parishes. Yep. So originally in the Indianapolis area. And then um, when I moved up here to get married in 2009 at one parish here in the Twin Cities. And then I've been at uh, St. Michael and Prior Lake for seven years. Wow. So when you first, so had you finished school first or? Yeah. So I did um, my undergraduate and graduate degrees both at Notre Dame. Um, nice. And the, the graduate program that we did, I really didn't want to go to grad school because I was so burned out of college and I hated the whole idea. And then the year I graduated, literally, they created this thing called the ECHO program, which is a two-year program where you get your master's of the arts and theology. Um, it's a practical degree, though. So you take your classes during the summer. Then during the school years for those two years, you work full-time in a parish as an apprentice. So you're getting like hands-on mentored training in catechesis and parish life and all that. And um, so they presented this program. They said, oh, by the way, it's fully funded by a grant. So it's completely free. And I was like, fine, I'll do your stupid, perfect grad school program (laughs) that I don't have to pay for, right? So it was really just an amazing godsend. It was just Providence um, uh, like crazy. So that was wonderful. Uh, And then so after grad school there, I went into parish ministry right away. Wow. Um, so did you do your undergraduate uh, in theology as well? Or? I did, yeah. Yeah, I originally went to school to be a doctor, which is hilarious now. And there are many, many, many patients who are better off that I'm not a doctor. <laughs> and so am I. So it, it worked out okay. Um, but yeah, I went to go uh, be a doctor like my dad, who I look up to a lot. And then about three months in, I decided, like, it is abundantly clear that this is not my calling because I'm terrible at science and I hate it all of a sudden. And I really liked it in, in high school. But <laughs> Um, yeah, so then I picked up a sociology major first and then a theology major I added shortly after that too. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Was this always with the, in, in the back of your mind where you're thinking one day when I get my graduate, I will finally be able to do youth ministry or wh- where was, how did that play into it? When I changed my major then, yes, by, by then that sense of a calling was pretty solidified. Um, grad school was not on my radar at all at that point. Cause I really, like I said, I really didn't want to go, um, but uh, by certainly by sophomore year of college, I, I had gotten the sense through a bunch of different ways and means that, that this was some form of vocation um, down the road. So my initial plan was just to go straight into full-time parish ministry, youth ministry, right after college, just after graduation, until this uh, graduate program popped up. That's amazing. I could see like wanting, in a general sense, to work with youth 
but specifically for you, it was a calling to be a youth minister, correct? Right. Yep. Yep. And I had worked at um, one of the reasons that I felt that call kind of developed throughout college was um, through through some of the campus ministry things I did at Notre Dame. So I was being involved with not just my peers, but volunteering with different high school retreats and things in the the South Bend area there. Um, but more importantly, even during the summers, I came back to Iowa, where I'm from, and I worked at a, at a Christian summer camp, just an ecumenical Christian summer camp um, for all three summers of college, and then another um, summer uh, during grad school as well. And um, I had never gone to summer camp as a kid, and me and my best friend just like signed up for it. like We thought it'd be a fun thing to do over the summers, and it was really transformative in a lot of ways. It, was, it wasn't a Catholic camp. It was just ecumenical, so it was great training in terms of apologetics to an extent. Like I really, I had great friends who were like Baptist preachers kids and they're like, so purgatory, what's your problem? <laughs> I had to be like, I actually don't know what purgatory is yet. You know, like I, I was still really getting formed and, and kind of figuring out what, what Catholicism was all about. Um, so I had to understand scripture and, and Catholic teaching really, really well. But then more importantly, actually just the practical ministry of ministering to kids all summer long when I was like exhausted and sleep deprived and sometimes grumpy, and sometimes I failed miserably. Um, all that was overshadowed by the sense of like real peace and joy and fulfillment, um, kind of like un- like discovering gifts throughout those summers went too, which was really fun. Was there a particular summer or a particular uh, point when you experienced, I think I'm called to do this full time? I don't know. I guess I've never really thought about when the like – the turning point or the awakening would have happened, so to speak. I don't know if it's the frustration that a lot of the high schoolers that we work with, if they're developing a testimony, right? They'll get, it's hard for them sometimes to understand the value of a testimony. If there wasn't like a lightning strike, Paul, Saul to Paul moment, you know, if it's more of like a Peter thing, just like a slowly developing fits and starts kind of a faith, they can get kind of discouraged about how that's not a very exciting story. And it's a beautiful story, obviously. Um, and I think that's more what my kind of vocational awareness was like. It was more of a, a gradual uh, revealing over the course of years, I guess. I, I guess I, I just know going into the first year of camp, I was really unsure about what was even going to happen because I had never been to summer camp ever. Um, so I had no idea what was in store for me. I, I didn't know. I thought I was going to fail miserably. Like I had no idea what was coming. And then three years later, I'm looking back at those three years thinking like, I think this is what I'm meant to do, you know? And I, I don't know what the, the turning point was in the middle there, but, mm-hmm. um, it was a definite 180 over the, over the course of time. And, and when you say meant to do, you mean like long term, like as, as far as you can see, right. this is right a, a certain sense, a calling, right? And that was a good way of um, uh, putting it. I think that's that's the way I've always described it, um, even before I went into youth ministry and now being in parish uh, youth ministry full time. Is I don't know I don't know God's whole plan, but for the foreseeable future at least, this is it. I mean, I can't envision something else that that God would lead me into. You know. Um, so yeah, it, it, by the time college was over, um, I had a I had a really keen sense that youth ministry was the call. And I even at that point had a pretty keen sense that like this is this is a genuine call for for a period of time like for for a good commitment you know. Did you have any particular uh, points when people around you in life who 
thought you were going to go into being a doctor or yeah. had maybe different ideas for you and thought you'd be good at something? Like, what did what were they saying when you were thinking, I think I'll be a youth minister? My parents, for sure. And my parents are great. They're not, like, my parents are super faithful. They're amazingly supportive. They, um, they, they never second-guessed my my intentions or, um, uh, and, and they're not even that they're not worldly to the extent that they were really, you know, the, the cliche is like, well, go get a real job. You know, how are you going to support a family? Stuff like that. I think they were worried about things like that on a minor level. Um, and, and I really do think it was just out of concern for me, basically. Like I, I'm sure they probably thought that I was just diving into the deep end and I had no idea how to swim. Right. I didn't know what to expect. And this was going to be harder than I ever thought. Um, but after – so that was when I told them basically I was going to switch from being a biology major to sociology, theology. They were like, well, that's a terrible idea because they're looking at it kind of mathematically, right? Yeah. Like you're you're accumulating all this loan debt throughout college. You're going to graduate and make a fraction of that over the course of 10 years. That you'll never be able to pay this back, right? Um, but I think once they got a sense of um, – it, it was kind of a developing thing for them too. And once they got a sense of like – this is a genuine calling. Like he's finding peace here. Um, there's skill. I think they started to recognize some of the skills as I was starting to recognize them too. Like I, I was uncovering gifts that I didn't know I had. And I think they were starting to see some of that too kind of come out through just opportunities and, and things that God was leading me into. So um, they became comfortable with it by the time I graduated from college. And then since then, they've been nothing but just super supportive. Um, and everyone else really along the way, I, I can't think of anyone else that was really even raised an eyebrow. And I think maybe it was just out of naivete. Like, I don't think a lot of other people around me would have known enough to say, like, well, how are you going to support yourself? You know, like, I think in college and shortly after myself and a lot of people around me were just in kind of like, dreamer state of mind right like it'll be fine like i'll make some money and i'll just be poor saint francis lifestyle it'll be great you know so um it was a little a uh, little bit of ignorance is bliss but no one else really kind of asked many questions going in yeah now we're, we're talking today uh, primarily about youth ministry sort of as a career but i see so many people go into youth ministry and then burn out and yeah. drop out yeah. I see so many people like make a really important decision heading into college for youth ministry mm-hmm. and then changing at the last minute and their lives being affected with debt. So right. can you talk a little bit about just um, the discernment process itself? And you had mentioned a couple of times about the gifts that you had become aware of in of yourself. Can you talk about those as well? Yeah, for sure. Um I think, uh, in terms of the discernment process, um, I mean, it does, on one hand, it really does make me sad to see, I, it's a cliche and I don't know if there's any data to support it, but the cliche is that the average youth minister lasts 18 months in a parish and they're just in and out constantly. And some of that's true, right? I mean, the, the parish that I worked at before St. Michael, where I am now, I was the 12th youth minister in 10 years at that parish, wow. right? Which is just it's a disaster. Like it was, <laughs> and it, through no fault of the parish, right? There is zero trust, zero accountability. Um, uh, thanks be to God, that program is in a much better place now because someone after me came in and was just willing to stick it out. And it just takes time, right? Um, yeah. So I think I, I think a lot of people really do um, get burned out. I think parish ministry is a lot harder than people expect. Honestly, I think more is asked of youth ministers than 
a typical uh, youth minister would expect going into it. And I think a lot of times it's because um, someone maybe who's right out of college or grad school, someone who's relatively young, has a lot of energy. And and like when I was you know 24 coming out of grad school, I had I had no issues working 60, 70 hours a week. Like I had nothing better to do. I I lived a quarter mile from the parish. I loved it, so I had no issues at all. Um, if I had done that for much longer, I would have certainly left that parish. It's not the parish's fault. It was just my own lack of boundaries. Um, and I may have left ministry entirely, you know? So I, I think there's an extent to which, um, the, the voca- the career of youth ministry can set people up to fail just with a lack of structure, a lack of um, routine. Um, there's also times that people, I think, just misunderstand their discernment process. Yeah, so I, something you said there just really um, piqued my interest. Yeah, like you went in it with a certain like knowledge, but you obviously got experiential knowledge, and like, oh wow, I didn't realize it was that difficult. Or there, there must be things that youth ministers don't realize before they come into youth ministry. Right. And right. had you had that as a part of the discernment process, maybe it didn't change, wouldn't have changed your decision, but sure. it might have given you more of a understanding. So. For those that are li- listening, for their sake, right. who are considering, am I called to youth ministry, to be a youth minister, um, what are the things that you wish you had known before going in, hmm. or advice that you could give to somebody who might be going in a bit naive? Sure, right, right. Um, <laughs> it's really hard, like really hard, and um, not not in like a scare tactic kind of way, and not in, in a sense that I would ever discourage anyone from going into it, because it's aside from my marriage and family, it's the greatest thing that I have in my life, right? Like it's, it's just an absolute love for me. Um, but it's really, really hard. And I think part of the, the, the struggle for me going in, I think for a lot of folks probably is not having an appreciation for, um, what, what a, what a lifelong mission field looks like. You know, um, I used to get really down on myself that I've worked in like typically upper-class suburban parishes. Cause my thought process was like, well, if I really want to serve young people, why don't I work in downtown Minneapolis or on the North side or somewhere, um, where there's real financial, real, um, a need of resources and make that kind of a sacrifice. Right. Um, and the more that I've I've worked in fairly upper class parishes, the more I've been able to identify like really deep and profound spiritual needs in parishes that are that have means. And I mean, if what we know about the world is true, the means sometimes create the needs spiritually, right? So, um, uh, so I, I think that was that was um, a challenge at times to kind of understand how how difficult this can be going in that that it's a mission field in the truest sense, even if the kids don't seem like they're needy and even if they don't know that they're needy. Right. Um, it's, it, you know, we use the phrase as Catholics be in the world, not of the world. Right. Uh, and it's, it's a great challenge to be in the world and not of the world and to be in the midst of people constantly that are of the world. Right. Um, and most of them it's, it's not, um, due to any real willful, sin or, um, choice on their part. A lot of it's just, they're, they're caught up in this culture and they've been swept away and they don't even know that it's leading them down dangerous paths, you know? Um, but it's really hard, right? One of the, one of the struggles that I fight on a regular basis is this ongoing, like spiritual ego battle of rejection, essentially like in the culture we live in. Um, if, if a, if a high schooler, or even their family, right? If their parents, if they have anything else to do besides church, 
they'll do that thing, right? Like any other option, I am the last choice in every <laughs> scenario, right? Uh, and it took me a long time to, and I'm still working on it, just to kind of get over that, to, to embrace humility to the extent that I understand that uh, I can work with it. And I don't take it personally when someone is like, well, my kid has a track meet, so he can't make any of the retreats that you have planned. So I guess we're just going to show up on confirmation day. You know, like it's just, it's, it's really difficult to, to, when you, as a minister, when you put your heart and soul into something uh, and people reject it, it's really difficult as a human to separate your identity from the mission, right? And um, uh, that was something I had a hard time with going in, uh, but I've got a, a greater appreciation for now, for sure. Um, and then, uh, honestly, uh, <laughs> it's it's one of the great, I think the, the hardest things in life I have found, for me at least, are the ones where you get to know people the best. Because the more you get to know people, the more uh, their idiosyncrasies, their personalities, my idiosyncrasies and my personality, um, our sins, our, our um, sore spots, they just rub up against each other. And it's harder to, to be amicable when people are really intimate, right? Um, and parish life, again, short of family life, is ideally one of those most intimate places of our Catholic lives especially working on a staff too, where there's, there's a pastor involved, um, who may have varying levels of support and understanding for youth ministry. There's other staff members who may have varying levels of understanding and support. There's parents, there's teens, um, there's, there's older and younger parishioners who aren't engaged with youth ministry at all, but are involved as parishioners. And, um, just managing some of those relationships can be really difficult. Um, and again, it's not a scare tactic. I would do it again uh, in a heartbeat, knowing what I know now, the difficulties that I've faced. I would do it again in a heartbeat. And there have been some really, really awful years. But I would do it all over again because the 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 mission is worth the, the suffering, right? I mean, like any missionary worth his salt, including every net missionary, knows at a certain point that the suffering is even redemptive, we would say, right? Like the suffering has meaning and the mission is worth all the suffering in the process too, you know? Yeah, that's a really beautiful uh, point that you made there. Um, so do you think that these things are why people get burnt out so quickly? Or what do you, what do you think is the reason why people I get think burnt so. out? I think so, yeah. I, th I, think, I think people um, – I, th I think – I guess it's a double-edged sword, I feel like. I think youth ministers tend to go in with um, unrealistic expectations of what youth ministry is going to do for them. Um, so I think, uh, you know, if, if ever your desires are not met by your expectations, um, there's always going to be a frustration in that gap, right? Like the, what, what you're being fed with isn't meeting your desires. Um, and I think some youth ministers have unrealistic desires, like they're looking for too much out of this. Yeah. What specific, um, expectations? Um, I think, um, at least for me, I, when I went into parish youth ministry, I had this great sense that like, I was going to be like constantly fulfilled, right? It was going <laughs> to like every day, it was going to be like a mountaintop transfiguration moment. And like, I was going to meet Jesus in the business administrator and in the middle schoolers. And like, excuse me, that we were going to share these like deeply intimate prayer experiences with the staff that we worked with and all the volunteers were just going to be like knocking on my door. Like, what can we do to support <laughs> this mission of saving souls? Right. Uh, so I, I think I was, I was looking to be fed in ways that are just unrealistic, you know, now that's not to say that a youth minister should 
squash the desire to be fed, right? I think that's frankly one of the other reasons that people get burnt out is they don't find ways to maintain their own relationship with Jesus and then the work becomes the their spiritual life, right? There's a um a book um by Sheldon Van Auken um of which the name I am going to forget, A Severe Mercy, I think is the name of it. Um but it, it's it's about his uh, coming to faith and his relationship with his his wife and um, her dying and his dealing with her passing, his grief. In the midst of it, though, he wrote a series of letters back and forth to C.S. Lewis, who's one of my great like spiritual heroes. He's the middle name of my fourth child. Like he's he's C.S. Lewis is great, and he asked C.S. Lewis at one point, um, "Should I become a theologian? Essentially, like should I do this for a career?" He, he had just had his big conversion, and he was asking, "Should I make a life out of this?" And C.S. Lewis, his response essentially was, um, uh, "St. Paul was the greatest apostle ever. He also was a tent maker. Like he made tents for a living. You know, and his tent making supported the mission that he was called to. Right." Um, and one of the, the best lines in there that I'm going to butcher, butcher, but I'll paraphrase it, is um, I, I always have the, the fear that people who go into professional ministry as a career, they mistake their professional success for spiritual success. So when, when a retreat goes really well, a, a, a normal human being has the temptation to think like, well, I am so close to the heart of Jesus right now. This is so wonderful. Um, so at the end of it, he says, in general, I would suggest to you just go on with your tent making, basically. Um, so the the desire to be fed is genuine and it's good, right, to be close to Jesus. But it has to be in a way that um, isn't founded upon this ministry, which can be way too personal and way too ego-driven to be genuine spiritual development, you know. So I think the desires can be unrealistic for youth ministers. And then from the parish side, I think really the way that a parish responds to a youth minister can be unhelpful at times. Um, I think parishes uh, in modern American life are just under a lot of pressure in a lot of ways, you know, um, all over the map, not just Catholic, but every religious denomination is seeing drops in, in general at least, not every parish, but drops in engagement, drops in giving, um, drops in sacramental life, things like that. Um, so I know pastors and business administrators are, are under a lot of pressure in terms of finances and having to cut staff to make ends meet. So youth ministers, someone who go in, goes in thinking, I'm going to help high schoolers know Jesus. They may be in charge of first communion, youth ministry, confirmation, adult formation, marriage prep. I've heard before, just they can get so overwhelmed with so much stuff. Um, uh, and, and, out of true genuine goodness, I think, are willing to take on a heavy load like that, not understanding the toll that it takes over time. Yeah. Yeah. So they have this sort of expectation that they're going in to youth ministry to really just dive deep and get close to the young people and bring them to Jesus. Right. But then they're burdened with all of these other things right. that, you know, have so much administration. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I've mm -hmm. seen that as well. Um, any other expectations that you have seen people go into youth ministry with that don't get fulfilled? I think I, you brought up administration, and that's actually a really good um, uh, a, a challenge that was uh, that I had to overcome as well. Just again, like I was in the, the mindset of like retreats and and resurrections, right? Like we're in the business of just constant conversions all the time, not having any idea that that involves like budgets and financial decisions. And like, if we don't have the money, we can't do that thing, you know, like really worldly necessary things like stewardship, stuff like that. Um, it involves, um, 
uh, safe environment uh, policies, right? So dealing with virtues training for volunteers and background checks. And the moment a high school leader who's a senior in high school turns 18, they have to go through every single step of the process that a 35-year-old has to go through to be a volunteer, right? Because they're a legal adult now. So the, just the, the sorting through paperwork and emails and voicemails, and it, it, it was a real struggle for me early on to, to look. I remember thinking um, when I was probably like 24, 25, like my first year of parish ministry, I had this real weight of, like, I loved the ministry and I wasn't, I wasn't jaded. I wasn't burned out, but I, had, I felt this weight of like, I'm going to be doing this for 40 years like this with all the emails and the budgets and the virtue spreadsheets and everything like 40 years. Right. And it was at the time it was like this really, it was like this dark tunnel that I was headed down, you know? Um, and, uh, 11 years in, like it's, it's become, you know, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Right. I mean, it's become like a much kind of sweeter, uh, burden than I thought it was at the beginning. Um, but some of those administrative challenges, um, folks that go into youth ministry oftentimes don't expect those to be such a large percentage of the job. And they are often completely unprepared for that part of the job, right? Um, have no understanding of budget planning or volunteer recruiting or, um, how to deal with different personalities in terms of relating to a pastor, relating to, maybe a supervisor who is a director of faith formation relating to volunteers, just some of that human stuff um, is really a, a struggle for a lot of youth ministers for sure. Mm. Wow. It sounds like there's a lot of considerations that I guess you probably learned on the job. Totally. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But you've survived. You're 11 years deep, right? You're still here. Yeah. Um, how did you get through all of those challenges? <laughs> um, the grace of God is uh, number one. <laughs> and there really were, I mean, there were a lot of moments along the way where it was just like genuine prayer. And sometimes it was like deep, meaningful prayer. Like, you know, it, it during one of the darkest years of ministry, for sure, with just like tons of just constant beat down in terms of human um, relationship challenges um, to the point of like, maybe this isn't my call. Maybe I completely heard wrong and maybe I'm just messing up everything along the way, you know? Um going to going to God and praying and just being like, well, like <laughs> if it's going to happen, you're going to have to do it. Cause I got nothing right now, you know, like, um, so, so leaning on grace a lot during those years is a number one for sure. The second thing honestly is, um, having people around me who are really, really supportive of whether things are going good or badly for me as a married man, Kenna is my number one support and having a bride that is, constantly and like aggressively supportive of what I do and understands parish life. She was in faith formation herself in a parish for a short time, um, for more than a short time, I guess. So she knows the demands, um, when there's lots of nights and weekends, um, she's amazingly generous and sacrificial in terms of picking up the slack, which, um, if she wasn't, there's no way that I could do this. She's as important to this ministry as I am for the parish. Um, so her support and other friends and family, I mean, um, that, that's a, a huge benefit. Um, and then really just having, uh, people along, along the way who have been willing to be patient with me when things have not been easy or, um, simple, I guess there are times that things have been really great. And there are times that I've known exactly why I do this. And the people around me are really thrilled with, what I'm doing and, um, they're happy to be involved. I'm thrilled that they're involved. It's just this great symbiotic kind of discipling relationship. Um, but there are times when like I've made pretty legit mistakes, you know, and, um, 
having pastors and fellow staff members, friends, um, even other parishioners who are really loving but have have the, the courage to just say like, hey, um, I know this isn't going well or I've seen this thing that isn't going well, even if you haven't seen it, but um, it's not the end of the world. Like we're going to work through it together, right? So how, what were the ways that we can deal with this? You know, um, there was uh, the first pastor I ever worked for in Indianapolis or right outside Indy uh, is a very, is a very, um, like standoffish personality, very introverted. Uh, the first time I ever met him, I, w- I hadn't even started at the parish yet, but I went to mass like the day before my first day on Sunday, my brothers were with me they were helping me move into my apartment and we went to mass and I was, I, I'm meeting my boss for the first time. So I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, you're, he, he had just been assigned to the parish too, I guess. So he didn't hire me. So this is like a blind date for both of us, right? So I walk up to him after Mass, and I shake his hand with my brothers behind me, and we go, Hi, Father, I'm Pat Millay. I'm the new youth minister. I'm so excited to be here. And I go to my brothers, Hey, uh, John, Mike, this is Father Dennis. And he looks at them dead in the face and goes, It's Father O'Keefe. <laughs> and I was horrified. I was sure, like, I was going to be fired before I started the job, right? Like, it was going to go terribly. Um, but he despite the the demeanor on the outside is an incredibly i found him to be just a very prayerful very holy very humble um really just man uh so he was a great pastor to work for and there were a couple times um throughout my first couple years when i was still just figuring out this youth ministry thing uh there was one day that we had a meeting just to kind of like a normal six month kind of check-in thing and um he just said like really simply in his really kind of standoffish way i just i'd like you to give some thought to the way that you dress and, uh, and coming from a guy like that, it was super intimidating, but I'll tell you, he didn't yell at me, right? He wasn't upset. There was no anger. He just really wanted me to consider that. And nothing made me consider that more than him using just very simple, but very clear and direct language. Right. Um, so just little things like that along the way have meant everything to me. I've, I've kind of helped me continue to be formed and shaped and, and guided along the way. That's cool. I mean, in that particular instance, did you then, like, uh, you know, you you considered it, then you made some changes, presumably. Right. Has that been something you carried with you, or did you, as soon as he left, were you like... For sure, right? (laughs) Back to tie-dye and shorts. (laughs) See you, Father Father O'Keefe. Yeah, no, um, yeah, because I left um, to move up to Minnesota to get married about a year and a half after that, probably. I was at that parish for about two and a half years, and... um, that stuck with me. That's never left me. I mean, I, as youth ministers, again, like we do get to take some liberties in terms of like dress and attire and things like that. Like if I showed up for every Wednesday night confirmation session in a suit and tie, they'd write me off in five minutes. Right. I mean, it would just, it'd be over. So there is a sense where like, there's a happy medium between being a slob and being pretentious, you know? Um, but really, I mean, like I, I wear collared shirts every day and even if I'm wearing jeans, like they're nice jeans and, if I wear shorts, they're not ratty and they're not gross, you know? Um, and, and more than that, there's, there's been since then, like a more internal acknowledgement and appreciation for like, so while, while I'm not trying to impress anyone and why I'm not trying to people please or like, um, worry about people's opinions of me, I represent something that's not just me. Right. So, um, short of the pastor himself, there's, for a lot of the folks in the parish, young people, especially I am the face of the church, right? So what I portray, whether I intend it or not, is a lot of people's experience of Jesus and his church. Um, so that representation is, is a, is a real responsibility, you know? Um, so the way I dress, the way I talk, the jokes I tell, um, how hard I work, that's all a reflection of, of the church. 
That's really cool. So mm-hmm. just to recap to where we are, you have had some moments where you've really had to just have genuine prayer. Yeah. And that's given you bread for the journey. Right. You've had good companionship with your wife and then also others who have supported you. Right. And then, you know, with, you know, you mentioned Father O'Keefe and yep. mm-hmm. his sort of mentorship. Yeah. Um, are there any other things that have helped prevent you sort of burn out? Yeah. Um, I think that... There are times that the ministry is feeding for the soul, you know, and it, it can't be the only thing that feeds. Um, but there are times that, that I, I leave work at night and I go home and, and just like awestruck in the car for the drive home about like how good God is and what, what God's grace looks like in the lives of real people who have met Jesus on a, on a genuine level, you know, um, so there's moments like that that are just amazing. Sometimes it's it's um, large group identity things. Um, you know, we run a couple of retreats every fall for our ninth graders who are in their first year of confirmation prep, and those retreats are led by the upperclassmen. And for a lot of the ninth graders, um, we do it right away at the beginning of their high school career, right at the beginning of confirmation. And in every parish I've worked at before, and I think a lot of parishes are under this model, they'll do a confirmation retreat right at the end of the process, like the month before they get confirmed or maybe the week before even something like that, which is fine to an extent. But um, now in retrospect, looking back at it, there's a lot of circumstances where um, these high schoolers have really made up their mind by that point. Right. I mean, God's grace is always more powerful than anything else. And there's always an opportunity for conversion and change, but there's also um, human, you know, kind of like calcifying that goes on over the course of time, especially getting into high school. So we try to catch them early on in high school um, before they have a chance to really solidify one way or the other. And there are just incredible stories of conversions for years and years and years now of kids that have never been to adoration before um, meeting Jesus and feeling like Jesus is hearing them for the first time, you know, um, young people who are seeing seniors give their testimonies and never knowing that a faith like theirs as a freshman is a way to Jesus, just a normal everyday suburban kid could know Jesus on a personal level, you know? And then, so sometimes it's in big moments like that. Sometimes it's just really getting to know a a high schooler or their parents or their little sibling, somebody really well. And, um, uh, seeing them, seeing like the eyes of their heart open up with, some realization, you know, there was, there's a girl who's a senior now, um, at Prior Lake in our program who as a freshman in high school, one of the girls, um, in her class died in a car crash. It was just super tragic. And she was really close with her. They played the cross together. They were good friends. And she was like really mad at God for a year, year and a half, probably something like that. And you would never would have known it on the outside. She was a really bubbly kid. She was not angry to be there on Wednesday nights for faith formation. She didn't hate the process, but inwardly it was just tearing her up. Um, and then one random Bible study the summer after her sophomore year. So about a year and three months later, a friend brought her to this Bible study. And that night we were talking about the book of Job, specifically why do bad things happen essentially. Um, so we're going through the whole process of Job, like this really great man, everything bad happens to him. Key number one, God is not doing the bad stuff. The devil is key. Number two, God is allowing it to happen and why he does. We'll never know. And Job actually never finds out. Right. Um, but there's this permissive will that happens. 
But number three, when Job finally he has the last straw at the end, and he's like, dude, God, what is your problem? Like, well, I've done nothing wrong. What's your deal? And God gets kind of snarky a little bit, which I love. And he says like, hey, Job, were you there when I set the stars in, in the sky? No, you you weren't? No? Yeah, just shut your mouth then, basically. Because he's trying to get him to appreciate, like, you have no idea. Your little ant's view of the picture is nothing compared to what I can see from outside of space and time, right? And for this this sophomore girl who had been mad at God for a year and a half, that was a watershed moment, man. Like, having an appreciation that, like, if what we believe about heaven is true, then when people throw out this stupid cliche that they're in a better place, they really, really are, right? Like, Anna's better off than she was when she was here on Earth, God willing. Um, so that moments like that, that we only found out maybe a year later when she opened up to us about how much that meant to her, um, that's the stuff where I'm just really grateful to God for his goodness and for the really, really humbling opportunity to like be a conduit and an instrument of grace, you know? Wow. So, I mean, youth ministry obviously is rewarding then, even if for it's sure. not like a daily thing where you're experiencing people convert, but there are clearly significant moments when people are, uh, coming to Jesus. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Any others that come to mind? Yeah, I was just, as you were saying that, I was thinking of, uh, there's a, <laughs> there was a guy, so I, my first year in ministry outside of Indianapolis, um, uh, it was in Zionsville, Indiana, and uh, I, I was fresh out of grad school, I knew zero people at this parish, I was just walking in cold, and we, um, they were doing their confirmation program in junior year of high school at that point, so these juniors who were 16, 17 years old were in the confirmation program, uh, and there were probably like, maybe 40 or 50 of them, something like that. And it was just the most typical spectrum ever. You know, some of the kids were like really excited. Some hated every minute of it. And most of the people were kind of in between. And one of the kids in between was this kid named Michael, who um, his nickname was Mug. And he was just like the most nonchalant, carefree kid ever. And I mean carefree in the good and bad ways, right? Like he really didn't care about what people thought about him at all. And he was really stress-free, worry-free. But also there were things he should have cared more about. You know, like he didn't care about his faith. He didn't really care a lot about working hard. Like he was just like, Hawaiian shirts and shorts and cowboy hats all over the place. Like, uh, but he was a really fun kid to be around. Right. Um, so I got to know him that year, junior year, he got confirmed and that was great. Um, senior year, uh, he started getting involved in a couple things and he went on a mission trip and a conference essentially. So like it's based on what they used to call youth 2000, but it's basically like a Steubenville type model of a conference. That's like Eucharist based, um, speakers, adoration, processions, things like that, praise and worship. Uh, he went on a, a retreat like that called Destination Jesus right outside of Indian, Indianapolis. And some of those moments just made a huge difference for him. And he just got ordained a priest this past June for the Diocese of Lafayette in Indiana, right? Wow. Like huge transformation. Um, just an amazing, amazing. So now I call him Father Mug, which is probably inappropriate, but now he's <laughs> Father Michael Bauer, you know, it's great. That's awesome. Um so bringing it back to just kind of this whole idea of thinking and discerning about whether or not one is called to be a youth minister. Um, do you, out of interest, do you have people like younger people that look up to you? I mean, I'm sure you do because I look up to you. I see, I see you do great things, youth ministry, incredibly inspiring man. So I imagine that there are people who come to you and say, Hey, I'm thinking about being a youth minister. For sure. Do you yeah. have any advice? Right. What would you say? Um, 
Yeah, there, over the years, there's um, been a lot of uh, kids in the programs that, that I've been a part of who have done exactly that. I've come up and said, hey, I'm really interested in this. Um, part of the um, part of the response I always give is, um, so step one to everything always is pray about it. Like, it's, it's nice that a lot of kids say that in high school because they have this romanticized view of what we do, right? Like, they picture in the office when they're not there. All we do is like eat pizza and play pool and just wait for them to show up so we can do ministry, right? Like, so they they have a romanticized idea of what youth ministry entails. Um, and what what they say is, I I feel a call to youth ministry. Oftentimes, is I love Jesus, and this is the only thing that I've seen uh, that's a it's an authentic way to live out that love for Jesus, right? Um, so my my first advice is always to pray about it because if, if it's a genuine call, that's going to be revealed. And if it's not, that's going to be revealed too. Um, uh, and, and then the second thing I'll always say is, um, to give it time because, um, time is a great, I found at least to be a great kind of, um, distiller for discernment. Um, one of the, one of the reasons that I knew that this was a genuine call is it never went away. I mean, from freshman year of college, all the way through grad school, it got, like the fire grew and it didn't dwindle over time, you know? Um, whereas, you know, if somebody has a great conversion, sophomore, junior of high school, maybe by the time they graduate from high school, they don't have that same burning desire, at least for youth ministry, right? God willing, they do for their faith still. Um, so I'll tell them, just give it time. That's great. I, I, like, I'm always happy to talk about it and I can give you whatever advice you want. I can tell you what it's been like for me. I'm always happy to give you guidance here and there. Um, but at least let's talk about it maybe like six months from now and see how you're feeling and a year from now and see how you're feeling to kind of see if, if that, if that call has stayed consistent and, um, grown and developed over time. Um, but then on, on the other hand, I, I always tell them, go for it, man. Like it's, it's beautiful. If, if this is a genuine call and it's, it's, it's consistent over time. And, um, if you're looking at maybe colleges, programs, um, if you're spending time around parishes or youth ministry programs, and that's only getting you more intrigued about how you would be able to offer gifts to this, um, then it's a really, it's an amazing opportunity that, that God puts in front of people. So, yeah, so it's, I, I never discourage people. I always try to help people be a little realistic about what, um, youth ministry involves, but also very realistic about the, the, the benefits and the glory that comes from it too. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. In terms of uh, education for youth ministry, mm -hmm. what's your opinion on that? Oh, gosh. It's such a funny thing because, um, you know, it, it, for our Protestant brothers and sisters, there's a lot of uh, folks who are youth pastors, right? So they'll go to, like, literal seminary. Like, there's Lutheran seminaries where you can go be trained as a youth pastor. So um, there's a little more maybe specialized kind of um, uh, specialty training. For Catholic youth ministry, really, there's not some uh, kind of direct pattern that leads directly to youth ministry. Every college that has – if a college has anything like a theology program, they already call them a million different things, right? So uh, it could be uh, religious studies, theology, Catholic studies. You know, they, There's a million different options out there. Some um, – some schools, you know, if it's a Catholic college, they may have a youth ministry degree, or maybe they have a degree in catechetics or catechesis, something like that. Um, whatever the case may be, um, I think catechesis for the catechist <laughs> is one of the greatest tools to, to, number one, continue the discernment process, and number two, 
to do everything that at least I can do as a witness to Christ to to witness to the truth and not just what I think the truth sounds like, you know. Um, when I was uh, really annoyed when that perfect grad school program came up because I really didn't want to go to grad school at all, I really wanted to go right into parish life. And I was a little frustrated, actually, that this perfect grad school program came up. So I went into it and I just kind of like grudgingly went through the motions with it. But then at the end of that program, with the master's degree at the end of it, two years later, I looked back at the 22-year-old version of me right out of undergrad and was thinking like, thanks be to God that I did not go straight into a parish because I would have been a hot mess. Like, I didn't know so much of our faith I was clueless about. And um, clueless in an honest way. Like, I I wanted to know, but I just had no idea, you know? Um, practical knowledge about how to do ministry that I was clueless about, had no idea. And some folks are very capable and are very equipped right out of college. So it's not a blanket statement, but man, I, um, I'm really glad that I, that I grudgingly went to grad school and learned something, you know, um, cause I was just so much better equipped to deal with real life questions, you know, and that's one of the beauties of youth ministry is high schoolers have great questions. And sometimes they're, they're questions that come from a deep faith and sometimes they're questions that come from a real resistance to the faith, you know? Um, but, uh, it can be, it can feel like treading water and kind of sinking a little bit if those questions keep coming and a person doesn't have the education they need to address them or at least to go find an answer to address it. Um, so whatever the case may be, I know that there's a lot of great colleges out there that have great degrees, um, undergrad and graduate. I know like obviously the Augustine Institute, um, there's lots of other kind of online certifications now, but that ongoing formation, that ongoing education is so critical for folks in youth ministry. Hmm. That's good. What kind of prudential considerations uh, do you think people need to make when considering youth ministry as a career? Because, I mean, it's not you're not in it to make money. For sure. Are you kidding? <laughs> filthy rich. I drove my Lamborghini here and I bought four Starbucks today. And uh, at the same time, like all of the good colleges out there, they're like Augustine Institute or Franciscan yep. or Benedict. These places, they... They charge a lot. Yeah. So right. how do you how does that come into the discernment? Oh, and what gosh. do you have to be prepared to like, okay, this is what it's gonna look like for life. Yeah, yeah. It's so that's there's a, there was someone who once told me um that if he said if I had known what marriage was really, really like before I was in it, I don't know if I would have gotten married. And he didn't say it as a criticism of marriage. He loves his wife and it was great, but you know, there, there's, a, there's a sense that, like, sometimes the costs of a commitment are unclear, and that's the reason that we get into the commitment, because uh, you, you're you only able to deal with those sacrifices once you have the grace to handle them, kind of, you know. And I think youth ministry is a lot of the same way. I think if I had known going in how stupid it was to rack up a ton of college debt and then try to pay it off on, like, 30 grand a year or whatever I was making off the bat out of college— um, it would have been too, it would have been too much. It would have been like despair and hopelessness and like, well, I guess I should be a whatever, you know, like a, a lawyer, a, a, something like everyone else. And obviously there's no knock against being a lawyer, but if youth ministry is the call, there's a sense of like reality here. Right. So, um, <laughs> when I went to Notre Dame, it was still not cheap and it's more expensive now. Right. Um, I, we just paid off my student loans, at least from undergrad, like a year ago, two years ago, something like that. So that was 2004. So like 11, 12 years after college, something like that. Um, we're still paying off 
my brides, um, cause she went to Notre Dame as well. Um, and, um, it's always, it's been a consistent sacrifice all along the way, you know, and it, in a sense, it kind of like killed me every month to write out a stupid check to a stupid loan, you know, uh, a manager that I have no affiliation with. And I don't like the idea of doing this. Um, but I loved where I went to college and I love what I do. And, um, both of those to me, both of those loves are worth the sacrifices to me. And they always have been, um, it's always been a struggle. Um, but there, there's, there's a girl who's, um, a part of our program now who asked the question you were talking about earlier, um, recently, you know, she's interested in youth ministry and she's wondering about what, what that entails. And her parents are wonderful, very Catholic, very supportive, but they realistically are like, is, are you going to be able to survive? Like, can you live like this? You know? And what I told her was like, I, um, I've always had to be prudent and I've always had to be frugal and I've always had to be a good steward of my money when I was single and then our money as a family. But I've never been, um, we've never missed a mortgage payment. We've never had struggled to put food on the table. We've never not paid a utility bill. Um, we've always paid our loans back on time, you know, um, it's a big trust in God thing, honestly. I think I think if the call is genuine and the formation is good going in, if the formation is worth the price of college tuition, theoretically, um, at least in our life, God has always provided in, in tough times. And there's there's been some seasons of our marriage, especially where we've had to cut back even more and really buckle down. Kenna went back to grad school to be a marriage and family therapist last year, or I guess she started that process about three years ago. So we were going into a time period when she was in practicum of one salary, one youth minister's salary for about eight months. So we saved as much as we could beforehand. And then as soon as her salary cut off, we were like, buckle up. <laughs> this is We're going to put our heads down and I'll see you in eight months. And we're not going to go on any dates or do anything fun until then, but it's going to work, you know? And it did. I, I just, God is good and God is faithful. And when you, um, it's the old cliche, like, God is never outdone in generosity and it's not cliche because it's true. You know, like all of our sacrifices for God have always paid back in exponential ways. Yeah. Thanks for that. That's a, that's a really good perspective. Um, I'd like to balance that perspective as well with, um, you know, I do see a lot of people get burnt out. Yeah. So, I mean, what about them? The, those ones who went into college and they go to a particular college, they spend a lot of money, mm-hmm. they come out thinking that youth ministry is uh, what they are to do, they're in it for two years, and then they realize, oh my gosh, this is really isn't for me. Mm-hmm. Like, how, what do you think of a way that we can prevent that from happening mm. more frequently? Um, I just want to make sure we're, um, you know, balancing this, the side of like, Yes, this is a calling. Right. But then there are some actual real, like, normal human practical ways that it, to discern whether this is actually something viable. Right, right. Yeah, that's the that's the beauty of a calling, right? Is it, A calling doesn't happen in this, like, beautiful spiritual vacuum. A calling happens in the world, and everything gets in the way. And, like, the, the devil's going to try to contort the world in whatever way possible to make that calling unfeasible, you know? And that goes for anything. That goes for a priest, for a sister, for a married man or woman. Everything is always going to – everything from the world is going to oppose that calling if it's genuine, right? So, you know, before I got married, you know, I was like, this is great. I get to like – it's like a sleepover every night. We're going to like watch movies. We're going to cook together. We're going to have cute little babies. And like 
what did I know about like 3 a.m. feedings and changing diapers and fighting with the person I love the most in the world? Like I was clueless about any of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think youth ministry is kind of the same way. I think when, when someone has a, a call to youth ministry, um, even if it's totally genuine, authentic, um, a, a direct call from God to, to, to enter into this, um, the devil's going to work to try to make that call impossible to fulfill. Um, and that includes in, in a parish life, right? I mean, a parish is full of sinners, spoiler alert, just like everyone else is or every other place. Um, so I think, um, uh, I guess when you ask what can we do to help with burnout? Um, well, I, I, I guess actually I, I heard an answer in what you were saying. And okay. Maybe you weren't saying this, but I heard just like the, you need to be committed. Yeah. Like, as yeah. you're going into it, if you are going to go into it, you need to know I'm going to get in a lot of debt yep. to become a youth minister. Yep. Um, and understand that it is a lot of money mm-hmm. and understand that it's going to take a while, a long time to pay back. Right. But you're in it for the right reasons. Right. Like if you have in sort of your heart like this, ah, you know, maybe I'll go to college and be a youth minister. Mm-hmm. Like maybe that's the wrong. That's not a really good way of thinking about going into college because you are right. going to come in to a lot of debt and come right. out of it with nothing to show if, you, if you're not going into youth ministry and then now you need to change careers and mm-hmm. you want to be mm-hmm. um, an engineer or a technician of some description. Right, right. So, yeah. yeah. No, that's one of the great blessings that I think college entails. Um, there's so many this, – this is a funny time of year because the seniors in high school right now are so horrified by the question, so what are you doing next year? And they hate it. They hate it. They hate it. They hate it. And I ask it all the time because I think it's just funny to watch them squirm because it's a really good question. Like, where are you going to go to school? And they're stressed out about it, but it's a great question. Um, What are you going to study? And that's a great question. But I like to balance that by saying, like, you don't have to have all the answers yet, right? I mean, so many many college freshmen go in and they're thinking, well, I don't know what I want to study. And maybe there's a lot of pressure on them that's self-imposed to know exactly what they're going to do right now. Maybe their parents are putting pressure on them, their friends, their coaches, who knows? Um, but a lot of folks go into to college um, under the guise of I have to know my life's plan now or it's all going to fall apart. And I always tell them, like, just pump the brakes, man. Like one of the beauties of college is a really beautiful process of discernment in the truest sense. Like there were things that I realized I was good at in college that I didn't know I was good at. And there were things I thought I was good at in high school that I was terrible at in college, including science. Right. That's why I'm not a doctor. Um so that that process of discernment is one of the great graces that I think college can offer in a best case scenario. Now, if you if you don't declare a major until you're a second semester senior, then it's probably a commitment issue. Like then you need to kind of check your motivations a little bit. But I think there is a lot of room, especially early in college, to really do some genuine discerning. Like, you know, so maybe I went into college with the vision of youth ministry as a as a full time lifelong career, um, but not being afraid to open your your ears to what the engineering department has to say or what the business department has to say. You know, there's, there's a lot of great holy youth ministers out there and that's great, but we need some holy realtors and we need holy nurses and holy priests and holy moms and dads and holy, uh, financial advisors. Like we need holiness everywhere, right? So youth ministry has not cornered the market on really wonderful God loving people. Um, so if that, if that call leads in a different direction in college, um, that's a real sense of be not afraid, you know? Um, and I think for someone who's really genuinely faithful for a great Catholic who has a real heart for, for Jesus and for the church, that sometimes is more scary than going into youth ministry. You know, um, the, 
the hesitation of saying, well, if I, it's always been, I I think, a misunderstanding of vocation um, to think if I really love Jesus, I have to do the ministry thing, right? That was one of my misunderstandings when I was discerning priesthood versus marriage throughout high school and early college. My thought process kept being, well, if I love Jesus, I have to be a priest because they're the ones that love Jesus 100% and everyone else loves Jesus like 85, you know, the best we can do. But it's not really 100, you know, um, which is a total misunderstanding of the universal call to holiness and just what we're all called to, the the, the texture of vocational life. Um, and I think the same is true. Once I realized that I was being called to being a husband and a father, I had a new appreciation for the ways that I was going to be made holy through that. Um, and that it wasn't settling for anything. And I think the same is true for someone who maybe goes into college thinking about youth ministry and realizes that that's not their call is, is an understanding that I'm going to be made holy through my life as a lawyer, believe it or not, you know, or my life as a, a, a CPA or whatever the case may be. Um, I think that's a really courageous decision sometimes. I love that. Um, so in people's discernment, like earlier you mentioned, you know, you became aware of gifts and, mm-hmm you've also developed skills and uh, along the way. So what do you think um, some of those gifts and skills are that people should know about when they're thinking about youth ministry? There's no, I, what I love about youth ministry is just one of the things I love about the church, right? That's one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, how, how monotonously alike all the great conquerors and tyrants have been, how gloriously different are the saints. Cause I think if, if you were to ask someone, I want you to draw me a good youth minister. They would just draw me basically. Right. I mean like spiky hair. I used to wear a lot of tie dye, play the guitar. I had piercings back in the day. Like it was, I was just like a walking cliche. It was, so, it, was it was embarrassing almost. Um, but one of the reasons that I never bought into that for myself, I knew that that wasn't what makes a good youth minister is my youth minister in high school. Um, just started out as a volunteer, kind of picked it up halfway through high school for me. We didn't have a program before that. And he was a semi-retired uh, like 60s aged man who had multiple multiple sclerosis continues to so he was not this like bubbly hey guys let's have a lock in he was not this like cookie cutter youth minister kind of a guy but he loved Jesus he loved the church and he loved these kids and he just wanted them to know Jesus like he did you know um so his example alone was just a, an amazing witness to me about the the breadth of possibilities that can that can make someone a great minister in any format, but including youth ministry. Um, I think the things that are consistent though, are um, a love for high schoolers that is, it sounds silly because it's just a human thing, but that's based on who they are and not what they can do or can't do. Right. Um, So the, it's the idea that like, you know, a 16 year old isn't, they're not a problem to be solved. Um, They're not broken and they don't need to be fixed. Um, uh, and they're also not only as good as their grades or their family or their mass attendance, even like this is the child of God. So they're all in different places in their faith, but having an appreciation for the, each individual soul and what they need in terms of their formation. And then, um, a love for the church is, is critical. And, um, it's easy to romanticize that too, I think. And to put that in just strictly emotional terms, like, well, I go to daily mass and I, uh, I, I pray with scripture every day. I love the church and that's a, please don't stop going to mass and please read the Bible. But, um, but anyone that's in a true loving relationship can tell you that love is really hard work, right? Like there's the nitty gritty choice and, and ritual, the habit of love 
that is that has to be bigger than emotions because the emotions will always come and go in any relationship, including in a relationship with the church. Um, and it's, it's, it's the habits, it's the rituals, it's doing the right thing. Even when you don't feel like doing the right thing, that's, that's true love, you know? So being able to, to, to be a witness to that, to high schoolers is beautiful. And it's such, it's one of the things I think that high schoolers and people of all ages right now hunger for the most is an authentic witness, right? Was that, I think it was, was it Pope Paul the sixth that, um, Modern man appreciate will listen to witnesses more than teachers, yeah. and if they listen to teachers, it's because they're witnesses. Yeah, um, evangelical nonsense. Okay, right. Yeah. It's it, it's it's beautiful, and it's like this perfect distillation of exactly what um, modern the modern human heart is craving for, because there's so much hypocrisy and falsehood out there, uh, with all of us included. By the way, we're not we're not you know excluded from that, but there's so much. Um, uh, do as I say, not as I do type of a, an attitude, even in ministry sometimes. And one of the beauties of high schoolers is they they will see through that in a moment, right? And if they see through it, they may not point it out to you. They may not identify it, but they will walk away, right? So there's this ongoing challenge of like, if I say I love the church, it's got to be an unfailing, unflappable witness in every situation or it, it or it's not love at all. It's either love all the time or it's not love at all. So that means I have to love the church when... A kid comes to me like like one of our kids did last year and says that they're transgender and that they identify as a different gender than their body and their birth and they go by a different name at school. Um, I have to love the church in that moment and I have to love the kid, right? So I have to love the teaching about about how God made our bodies and our souls and I have to love this person who is a child of God, right? Um, that That tension is really difficult, but that's also one of the only places that genuine ministry can happen is when you have that blend, I think. Yeah. And as a, like a, a skill or a gift that I see there is just the ability to like take your prayer time and, right. um, be in tune with the Holy spirit and understand that these, it's a delicate line that you're treading right. a lot of the time. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Um, any last words of encouragement for our listeners that are considering youth ministry? It's a beautiful life, man. I, I, um, it's always uh, uh, it, it. We just uh, had a session last Wednesday on heaven, hell, and purgatory, and I was telling Lexi, my coworker, it's kind of funny when you bring those up because when you say, "Hey, we're talking about heaven, hell, and purgatory," people's first reaction is like, "Oh, well, that's that's too bad. That's what a hard topic." And I like we're burying the lead here, right? Like heaven is part of that whole thing, right? So like, as bad as hell is, heaven is better than hell is bad, you know? So like it's impossible to overstate how amazing that topic is, you know? And I feel like youth ministry is the same way, right? I mean, the, the, the challenges are very real and I think undersold, underappreciated. Um, I think they're, they're just underrecognized a lot of times for folks going in, into youth ministry, but the, the glory of the calling and the grace that comes out of it. I mean, we're literally talking about souls at stake here, right? I mean, it's the same reason that people go into net, like, there are souls that need saving. Jesus is going to do that. And if we can introduce them to Jesus, there's a chance of one more soul being in heaven forever. Right. Um, that, that there's no way that we can appreciate now in this life, the value of that kind of a call and responding to that kind of a call, even in the midst of like boring staff meetings and annoying volunteers and kids that don't show up for anything. Like that's all worth it because we're trying to help people be saved. You know, it's, it, it's a beautiful thing. 
Thanks so much, Pat, for being here. Um, is there any way that people can get in contact with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, you can uh, find me on uh, online, pat-millay, M-I-L-L-E-A.com, or um, on Twitter, and uh, that's Wacky Basilisk. Like the the Jesus lizard, they call it in Costa Rica, not the character from Harry Potter that's the source of all evil and turns people to stone. So Wacky, B-A-S-I-L-I-S-K on Twitter. All right, welcome back. Welcome back indeed. All right, this is the second part of the podcast where Dan and I recommend something uh, to each of the listeners. I'm going to go first. I want to recommend an organization called Vienni Vocations. Uh, Through the years, I've been at different conferences throughout the country. Always seem to run into this guy named Sam Alzheimer. Uh, Sam and his family live in Tallahassee, Florida. And Sam runs uh, an organization that really... Uh, all they do, everything they do is to help pro- promote vocations in the U.S. Everything from um, you know, making uh, vocations posters and assisting vocation directors. But a big thing that they do, and I think the most exciting thing they do, is provide resources for discernment groups, uh, both for high school and colleges. And so as I've gotten to know Sam, uh, he just has a great heart uh, for serving the church and really wanting to promote vocations. So I would uh, encourage anybody who works uh, in ministry or is just interested in the promotion of vocations to the priesthood and religious life, uh, just go ahead and search for VNE Vocations. And for my recommendation, if you are a youth minister, do yourself a favor and hop onto Facebook right now and um, look up Project YM. We've, we've, we've actually recommended them before, but... I want to recommend something specific. They they host every, I think, week, I think it might be weekly, um, something called Catholic Youth Ministry Live. Um, and the dudes there, they interview different people who are doing Catholic youth ministry um, and discuss different topics that um, are pertinent to that. So if you are a youth minister, do yourself a favor and jump on there. Again, it's Project YM or Project Youth Ministry is their Facebook page. And from there, you can find their Catholic Youth Ministry live episodes. Nice. Awesome. I like it. Way to go with the theme of the whole episode, Dan. All right. Thanks so much for listening to the Net Ministries podcast. Per usual, we would love it if you left us a review. What kind of review? I I mean, I think a five-star review would be really cool. But here's here's the reason why. Like, it's not about inflating any egos here. Um, Seriously, this is something we want to be able to do for the benefit of those out there who consider themselves missionary disciples who are striving um, to uh, serve the Lord in his church. And we just want people to be able to find it. So leave a review or recommend it to a friend, send it to a friend, share it on social media. That would be really helpful to this mission. Yeah, and what's cool is... I think when we started the podcast, we thought we just we just want to start it. Get let's just let's just get the ball rolling. We're going to put together a podcast, and we hope some people listen. And I think Dan and I thought, you know, maybe in the beginning, maybe we'd have like fifty listeners. That well, you came into my office once. You said, Dan, how many listeners do you think we've had? And I was like, I don't know, seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it turns out thousands of people have already listened to our podcast, which is crazy uh, to imagine and to think about, but. What we really want to do is we want to expand that. And again, not not for any uh, 
great glory for Dan or I. We're not hoping to be professional podcasters. And uh, we just want people to be inspired. We want people to evangelize. We want people to grow closer uh, to Christ. So if you could recommend it, leave us a review. All those things would be great. Thanks again so much for listening. Uh, We're out of here for this episode, and we'll see you next time. God bless. You've been listening to the Net Ministries podcast. Check out our show notes and more at netusa.org slash podcast. You can email us at podcast at netusa.org.